You're listening to the Auxiliary Gate Podcast, Kentucky's weekly horse racing discussion. And now, here are your hosts, Alan Schneider, Brandon Jaggers, Jeff Riggs, and me, C.C. Broadus. Being on the Auxiliary Gate Podcast is a little bit like the Hotel California. You can check out the time you like, but you can never leave. The Auxiliary Gate, big problem. Hello, everybody. Welcome to 160, Auxiliary Gate 160. I'm CC Broadus, joined by Alan Schneider and the lovely and talented Jeff Riggs. Guys, how's it going? Great, man. This is, this is the part where we preamble, as you said, uh, off air. We, t- we got to preamble for a bit, right? Pre-game. Pre-game. Uh, preamble sounds fancy, preamble, man. Preamble sounds fancy. Pre-game sounds like uh, something you do at a tailgating party. It's true. Said it's always a party here anyway, so I kind of mm. like pre- preamble. Sounds like you're going into an official document or something. That's 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 a good point, uh, guys. Uh, so let's uh, let's talk about some topics here. What what's on your mind? We got you know uh, pending World War Three. We've got college football. Uh, we've got uh, all kinds of different things. Uh, I think maybe the most important story of the weekend was probably uh, Brandon Jaggers. Uh, would, would you all agree? It generally is. I mean, the whole World War thing stuff's scary and is at the top of everyone's minds. But however, lead off with Mr. Jaggers, brother. Brandon, Brandon's ducking me tonight in particular. Uh, he, he, uh, had the guts to single Gina Romanica yes. in the Keeneland Turf Mile, one of the most brilliant things he's ever done. And then he goes, uh, I don't know what his ticket, his pick four ticket was, uh, he played two of them. At least two of them, generally speaking, correct? At least, well, that two that we know of, two that were shared with the group. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He only shares. He shares the good ones. Yeah. But he went three by four by a bunch. He used about seven horses in the last leg. But uh, Brandon has a a bad habit of not listening to the podcast. And the last horse I think I I gave out on the podcast last one fifty nine. I liked a uh, a horse from the uh, Steve Asmussen barn named Booth. And, uh, Booth, uh, we, we were high on Booth coming into the race. Brandon used about seven horses in there. He did not listen to the podcast. He missed Booth. That single of Gina Romanico basically went into the trash can. He, he got that off Jason Bean. Jason Bean touted that one. <laughs> well, there you go. So that, now we know where his, uh, his loyalties lie. Wasn't there something else he did like that too? He was like, I didn't have that. It was like, like we talked about on the pod that you didn't listen to. Wasn't there, there, was, there was at least one more occasion, but yeah, that one does ring a bell. Well, it, it, yeah, not too recently we we brought on a guest and then from a from a partnership that owned that won a a big race recently, and then a few days later he texts us bringing us a guest from that same partnership. <laughs> Been covered. Yeah, I've got, Brandon. I've got this we guy on part of this horse stuff. So. No, that was that was our last uh, that was our last podcast, Brandon. But anyway, <laughs> so uh, yeah, then then the next day he blamed me for giving him a scratch. Uh, the Brad Cox horse scratched out of the British for charity. Actually, wound up winning the the champagne. He blamed me. Actually, he he redid his ticket, taking the Brad Cox horse out, and for some reason dropped uh, dropped a few more winners out of his pick four. So that was my fault. Sorry, Brandon, I gave you a scratch. 
<laughs> I hope he listens to this one. I hope he listens to this one. Brandon, yeah, I was really <laughs> looking forward to this. And you, you've ducked me again. So He's I, able to hop in at any time. We know that, right? Right. That's right. All right, guys. Anything else? I, the last weekend was beautiful. It was a beautiful weekend. I thought uh, just great weather. Uh, I got to sneak out of work Sunday and head out and caught the last three or four races at Keeneland. Got to see a beautiful filly named uh, uh, Idiomatic win the Spinster Stakes. I got kicked out of the fourth floor, the Phoenix Room. Got kicked out of there because I was dressed like a bum. Uh, <laughs> that was fun. Uh, Don't they know who you are? Did you say, do you know who I am? I host the seventh highest rated podcast, horse racing podcast in, in Bell County. County. Bell County and Nelson County. County. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I got thrown out of there. That was that was sucked. But uh, I was trying to find a hat, a Spencer hat. I got a collection of Judmont Spencer hats. I wanted to add to it. I couldn't find them though. Uh, <laughs> then uh, of course Saturday night was the ball games. Beautiful weather for the, the Louisville game. That was beautiful. That was a great great night. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it was uh, it was a good weekend. Good weekend of racing. I know Jeff got to enjoy Johnny's Fireball on Friday. Got in the winter circle, I believe. Yeah, tell yeah. us about that, Jeff. Yeah, I think Friday was probably my favorite day of the weekend, uh, selfishly because of Johnny's Fireball. So congratulations to all of us on that. He had a, a very nice win on opening day at uh, Keeneland in the finale. He had a, a hard-fought victory in a tough allowance field. Uh, we had to, we had to wait it out. It was, it was interesting because of course we, we had quite a big group in there and we were celebrating in the winter circle and we had, gotten all lined up ready to take the winner's photo by the time we even realized there was an objection. So once we figured out that was happening, they weren't showing any replays. So we also didn't know, you know, what our chances were of getting taken down. So there was a stressful, I would say it was probably about five minutes. It felt like about five hours <laughs> waiting on it. And there were some stressful moments for sure, but when we saw that official light come on, we had celebration round number two. So that was a pretty awesome day. It was uh it was the first Keeneland win for any brilliant racing partnership and uh it was just it was a good day for all. There was a lot of celebration happening. You know, to be clear about that, you know, CC and Brandon and myself are also partners in Brilliant Four. We didn't just ha- happen to be there, but we were extremely happy for everybody, Jeff. The whole partnership, Joe, Brandon, uh, Natalie. But uh, to, to touch on Jeff's point, uh, yeah, there was there was a trainer's inquiry. If you know anything about racing, trainer's inquiries are a rarity, and it's very, I, I I can't remember my lifetime I've ever seen a trainer's inquiry come down. So I didn't think much about it, and I didn't even see the replay. They only showed it one time. I was here I was here at the house. We were getting ready to go out after they made the race official. But I didn't think much about it. They made the race official. Finally, saw the replay that these guys were waiting on. It was, it was, he, the horse could have came down. It was, it was, it's a 50 50 call at, you know, I think that's, uh, suffice to say. So it really, it might have been better that you didn't see it, Jeff, right? It was, it was a. I agree because I, I thought the same thing. You know, it's just trainer's objection. It wasn't an inquiry. Mm-hmm. 99% of the time those stay up. And I, you know, I felt pretty good and we were in the winter circle and we we're like, okay, you know, this is just a formality. And then you get about, you know, four or five minutes into it. And, you know, I don't know if there's really any data on this, but just in my experience, it seems like the longer they look at something, 100. the more likely it's to come yes. down. And yes. so I, we were getting more and more and more and more nervous as we were just waiting it out. But yes, I, I do think it would have been worse if I would have seen it because I, I have, I have seen that type of move come down before. 
Yeah. It um it's it's interesting, you know, what they decide comes down and what doesn't. But I do I do think as we had talked a little bit previously about there are precedents set and um you know, it's one of those things that can go either way. It's just it's in the steward's hands and you just gotta hope to come out on the right side of it more often than not. Well, it was a hundred and twenty thousand dollar raise, so we're glad that they kept him up. So it's been a heck of a claim by claim by the people in charge of that. So we we appreciate it. What about uh, some of these big races over the weekend up to the mark one, the Keeneland Turf Mile? That was uh, incredible race. I didn't think he could. He could. I thought it was too sharp for him, but he was. Uh, he ran down a really nice uh, loose on the lead Godolphin horse late late stages. That was uh, that was a good effort. You know that horse. I remember back at Gulfstream, and I didn't see that many races at Gulfstream this year. I saw a few, and I saw up to the marks. Uh, coming out party. It was an allowance race, made my optional claim. I don't know. It was like 12 to 1. And if you saw that race, it was absolutely breathtaking move. And as like, that was like the overlay of the year. We, we, we talk about they knew. I don't like getting into the whole they knew stuff, but I will make the case this time they knew that horse would have won that race 200 out of 200 times. It was an unbelievable move and a horse done nothing wrong since then. I think some people questioned that maybe the lay, a bit of a layoff, a bit of an injury. But no, that horse that was that was a that was a hell of an effort up to the mark to get up and over a really really good horse. Uh, so it was, it was a thrilling race. Didn't know who won. Didn't know who won, but uh, they put his number up. Yeah, I missed the race. I was on the road to to the ball game. Uh, the British Futurity was the race before that. It looks like uh, Todd Pletcher has a uh, has a another nice two year old with in the form of Locked Locked. That was a carbon copy of last year's British Futurity. When uh, Forte ran down Loggins from the Brad Cox barn, this time uh, Locked had to run down uh, Mike Maker's horse, who was uh, had, had to lead, looked like a winner, and Locked Locked showed some real real heart and pre- pretty much a wide journey all the way around. Got a feeling that uh, Locked's going to be a handful in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. I'll, I'll let Jeff touch on this, but I got to be—I I didn't think Locked was that great. I know he had the wide journey. But it looked like the wine steward, who was a, a New York bred, who I was never really that crazy about, kind of came at him from the inside and did put the head in front. Now, now Locke did regather himself, right, and uh, and get the win. But um, I don't know. I, I just wasn't as impressed as some other people were. I mean, you know, maybe just me. Maybe he's got another forward move in him and stuff. And I know he was wide. But uh, Jeff, how about you? Yeah, I think I think that's what it's about. I think it's kind of projecting that next move for Locked is is what does make me excited about him. Um, I don't really know that it was that impressive of a performance just in and of itself. I, he kind of did what he was supposed to do in there. I feel like you know it's not like there were a few in there that were kind of interchangeable. It was it was really the Locked show, and there was the wide journey and galloped out nicely, but, you know, didn't just totally decimate them. Um, but I, I do think that he probably likely has another step forward in him, which uh, would make him very tough for Breeders' Cup purposes. Last but not least, before we get to our, our special guest, uh, I want to talk about how stupid college football is. <laughs> I'm, this is. I'm going after you, Alan. I know you're a big college football fan. I think, I think college football, the, I, I'm not saying the sport itself, their actual game is stupid. I think the way it's run is stupid. Please, please elaborate, sir. For us, and, it, and, and it's all got to do with super conferences now. Oh, well, I, so, you're not going. I'm not going to disagree with that at all. I mean, the SEC is going to 20 next year, right? 20 schools. 
Mm-hmm. I think same with the Big Ten, with the addition of UCLA and USC and Washington and Oregon. Yeah. So and and, and for years now we've had this fourteen playoff. Uh, uh, well, fourteen playoff, but we've had five quote super conferences. Yeah. Power conferences, yeah. Power. That's right. That's the right word. Power conference. Five doesn't fit into four. And for the last several years, one one of the conferences has always been left out. Sometimes two of them have been left out. Now we're going. I've just heard this talk all week about uh, in the ACC, and it's not going to happen. But North Carolina, Florida State, and Louisville all could could possibly go twelve and zero. Uh, and when you're playing a conference championship at the end, yes, that that three doesn't go into two very well. That and and it's going to get worse. How could you have? How could you have these major conferences and then try to declare a winner when there could be multiple teams that could go undefeated and not even, you know, the, the top teams don't even play each other. I, college, college sports is so stupid. And it's like if, if, if these athletic directors had to run the real world, had to run a real corporation, they'd be bankrupt in a year. Um, I'll take those guys who are politicians, you know, uh, that's, well, they're probably all about the same thing. I think you're missing one, one key factor here. And so you're right with everything you said, money. It's the athletic directors and these guys in the conference, they don't really care. It's about bringing in the money, bringing in the revenue, the games and the conference titles, they, those matter to the coaches and the players and the fans and stuff, right? But at the end of the day, it's just one giant cash cow that keeps coming in, right? And as long as they got the eyeballs in, and if my team, if, if my team, my team for my conference wins, but we all split the money, and it's, and I mean that's what it's about and stuff, right? So you are 100 percent right. It's, um, it's a great. I'm at the point in my life now where someone who wanted to be a sports journalist when I was a kid, I thought writing sports for a living would be a great thing, but I'm down about two sports I really follow closely more, and that's college football and, and horse racing, and sometimes horse racing. You know, it tapers off for me a little bit as well, too. But college basketball does nothing for me. College football is still a lot of fun. NFL's okay uh, because of the atmosphere of college football. But everything you just said is right as well and stuff, too. But at the end of the day, it's the money. That's what they care about and stuff, right? Well, that's, that's you know, the, the money is all is everything. That's the, the root of all evil. I mean, that's that's why we have a Kentucky Derby. Matt Wynn saw, saw a way to uh, – create a horse race that that would make him money personally and and 150 years later here we are so i mean that's that, that's that's what it's all about at the end of the day i suppose 12 team playoff i mean it's, it's a shame for louisville uh this year that it's not a 12 team playoff this year i mean they could still theoretically get in there and stuff it's gonna be tough and the sec isn't as strong this year it seems like i mean oh. georgia georgia's you know nfl light but uh Next year, found out. Next year, different story. Next year, I think they're going to find out once and for all that what they've been missing all these years. Because now every team that every team can get into the playoff now, which is mm-hmm. fantastic. Yeah. That's going to be actually fun. Which just yeah. not two, two or three teams get in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. All right. Enough of that. Enough I'm of that. looking Let's, forward to our guest, brother. Well. Let's see if we can hook up with it right now. Let's see, uh, we'll 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 cast the line right now and see if uh, we can uh, see if we can set the hook. Okay, you got it, my man. Here we go. Yeah, it looks like we are hooked up here with uh, with our guest CC. So for uh, a couple of reasons, um, it's hard to believe it's been. Geez, I just looked it up today. 
just over three years since tonight's guest first joined us on the pod. It was one of our favorites of the 160 we've done so far, to to say the least. Um, but, yeah, there's a couple reasons that it seems like I can't believe it's been that long. For one, I, I can't believe she did it in the first place, to be honest with you. And then and secondly, now that um, she is kind of a legit celebrity in this game, it's, uh, I really can't believe she, she decided to come back. Um, but one of who I am talking about is one of the nicest, uh, most intelligent people in the game of horse racing. And uh, the sport's biggest fan of Fort Erie Racetrack, Ashley Mayhew. Ashley, uh, what's up? Uh, not too much. I feel like I am like the biggest fan of the fort. But uh, no, life is good. Life is busy. Obviously, it's fall. So that means Fort Erie's wrapping up and Breeders' Cup is less than a month away. So I feel like while things come to an end, it's also an exciting time of the year. Oh, yeah, I can imagine. And, uh, you know, again, thank you for coming in again. I, I looked up, it's like September of 2020. We hadn't been doing this that long. We make about the same amount of money we did back then, zero. <laughs> but uh we do it for the fun of it or whatever. But yeah, you were on with us in September of twenty twenty. It's got it's hard to believe it's been that long. But uh I was gonna call you the, the queen of Fort Erie Racing, but after doing a little research, I think that official title is I can't really call you that. It's reserved for one Francine Villanueva. Is that true? Do you know anything about that? Yeah, Francine Villanueva. Um she Villeneuve. is awesome. Yeah, she obviously was a very talented rider in her career and um for those that have ever tuned into Fort Erie, obviously the big race being the Prince of Wales, but the special race I would say is the Puss in Boots, and she's part of the reason that uh, the winners of that race jump into the infield pond. And uh, you know she's trained, she's done everything. She was actually there just the other day, and I saw her. But uh, I would say she's she's one of the queens. I feel like there's been a lot of uh, talented riders and, and female trainers and just horsewomen in general at the fort over the years. Oh, yeah, that's one thing I think we, when you were on here a long, a long time, we talked about all the, all the female riders that come through Fort Erie. There's a lot of them, and there still are. And I guess you could maybe princess of Fort Erie. Would you be okay with that? Or is there an uh, empress? Not much of a princess type, you know. Maybe when I was a kid, I like the Disney movie princesses. But we we can go with it. We can roll with it. That's cool. Um, but before we go on, let's touch on the Puss and Boots thing. We may have talked about this three years ago. Who knows? I think we did. But you, you elaborate on a little bit here. Let's elaborate a little bit more. What The Puss and Boots is run every year at Fort Erie. It's for fillies, correct? Is that right? Yeah, the Puss and Boots is actually, it's for the boys. Um, the boys. It's, a, it's a turf event um, as long as weather cooperates. But it's usually in September nowadays. And uh, many, many years ago, there was a horse, Puss and Boots, who, you know, took a detour and decided to go in the infield pond. And uh, it's a tradition that started at Fort Erie long after that, that uh, Connections joked that, if, you know, if they won the race, that they would take a plunge, and that's what happened. Um, Francine was the rider, and she took a a plunge into the infield pond, and it's been a tradition and something that I think the horsemen look forward to. Um, I'm not sure I would like to jump into the infield pond. I've seen the, the snappers in there. They're pretty big, oh. but uh, everyone does it. And I think, you know, when you think about the infield pond at Fort Erie, um, a lot of people would say that, either back in the day or still, um, you see all these tracks with an infield that might just be retention ponds, right? Um, and it's not maybe the most visually pleasing thing to look at, but the fourth infield, even all these years later, is gorgeous. I mean, there's trees, there's the ponds, there's grass. It's just uh, special. So I know the horsemen always like to uh, take the swim when they get the opportunity and win the race. Yeah, you, you kind of stole my thunder. My next question is, if you've ever jumped in a pond, but I, I take it you haven't. It can get pretty cold up in Canada. You know, at this time of year, I would... I would think, uh, what time, what time of year does that run? The That's in September, so it's usually around, uh, Labor Day weekend, so it's not bad. It's probably, uh, 
a much, you know, deserved and a nice way to, to cool off. Um, I have never jumped in it. Maybe someday I'll have a horse in the Puss and Boots. I feel like that would be a, a fun experience. But, uh, this year, a couple of my friends took the swim. Um, their horse won. His name's Nikolau. He's a very nice horse and, uh, they got to take the plunge. So it was a, it was a fun moment to watch. That's the kind of stuff I love. There, there needs to be more of that stuff, right? And, and, and horse are just simple fun, man. Make things fun like that. Um, uh, first things first, um, uh, Back when you were on, you know, since you were on a long time ago, and I know you've done a ton of interviews since then, but the things have predictably changed for you uh, since since we last spoke. Uh, your career tra- trajectory went way up. Uh, FanDuel, I know you helped <laughs> out with FanDuel, right? Uh, yeah. Some work at Gulfstream Worth at DRF, but I know you just went to France, which is amazing. Um, I've never been, but uh, I think one of the things I really uh, get a kick out of you is, is your commitment to Fort Erie. Despite all that, it's like, you you can take the girl out of Fort Erie, but you can't take Fort Erie out of the girl. It's like you're, it's like Fort Erie is Kansas to your Dorothy to borrow a Wizard of Oz kind of a, a parallel there. It's uh, what keeps bringing you back. Why are you so committed to Fort Erie? I think it's a couple of things. I think when I look at where I am now, I don't think any of it would have been possible without Fort Erie. And some people might kind of laugh or shake their head at that, but it's where right. I first fell in love with the great game. Right. So as a kid, they used to run way more than than they run now, right? Four or five days a week. And on the weekends, you know, when my mom was working, dad and I would, would go and I'd be in a stroller. I'd be learning what tuna huh. two meant. Absolutely bonkers. But part of the reason I went to school in Kentucky was because of horses, right? I, I wanted to be closer to the horses. So that got me there. And then from there, I got my master's and ended up back in Buffalo and ended up doing some stuff for Fort Erie. So you know, it's funny. My dad always goes, well, you're good at math because I took you to the racetrack. And I think it's even more important. Like, you know, Fort Erie has shaped my life in that way. Um, so I think there's that aspect of it. But it's the people at Fort Erie. I mean, I've never been to a racetrack that I don't like. Right. I love all the racetracks and they're all different. But a lot of the reasons that a track is special, it's not just the horses, but it's also the humans um, and, and some of the most influential people I've met at the racetrack. Uh, the reason that I was able to do stuff at Fort Erie and owner there, Jerry Catalano. That's how I got my foot in the door. Um, I've met everyone in the racing office. Um, the racing secretary and the paddock judge are like my Canadian parents. Uh, it's just such a lovely atmosphere, and I've met so many amazing people. So it, it really means so much to me. Yeah, we'll, we'll circle back just a little bit something you said I find, I find fascinating because it reminds me, of myself a little bit in that uh, I was always good at math, right, when I was younger. And being good at math, I think, draws you into horse racing, right, uh, to some extent. And do you remember the first time when you was able to start paralleling math with, with horse race? Like, when was when you knew that 8 to 5 paid, right, or you knew what 4 to 1 paid? And be, being, being a math-oriented person, um, when did, did you start doing that at 6 years old, 7 years old? Do you remember? I would say so, somewhere around there. I mean – I think I started to realize more about even money management, which people are going to say that's crazy. But my dad gave me, it started as two bucks a race, right? I did dollar exacted boxes, two runners, and I graduated to six. Or if it was the Derby, it was 12, whatever it was. And I think it, it taught me a lot about math in that regard. And I think in terms of a numbers thing, I'll never forget the biggest exact I ever had. And I was young. I was probably seven or eight years old. We were at Delaware Park, and I was allowed to do my two horse box. And I, I played an Ashley horse, but I remember I, I picked a horse that was seven to two on the morning line. And, you know, the Ashley horse was double digits over 50 to one and they finished one, two. And I remember I, you know, the exact, I paid 580 bucks. 
Damn, we'll never really? forget that. And my dad was like, yep, that's yours to keep, right? And that would go in the bank, bank account or the piggy bank, right? Um, but no, I, I mean, I do think math, you know, that kind of sparked my interest in it. And I always was good at math. But when I, when I went to college, I didn't want to go for math necessarily. I thought about the sciences in general. But a lot of it has to do with that or reading the form and knowing what things meant. And, um, you know, people don't realize you use math. A lot of the time, even when you don't realize it, and I know a lot of people hate math, but uh, it's it's a very useful skill, and you use it even when you think you're not. Yeah, that's true. That's it's so very true. And, you know, there's like, I, I think I may have mentioned to you where it was like, it's because of the horse racing, not to borrow a pun or whatever, uh, that you're not like, because of the horse racing, you're not, you're not a one-trick pony like in this game like some people are, because you, you are a math wizard. You graduated with the what was it in Transylvania? What was the degree? Much, much way. Bachelor, bachelor of Arts and Math, yeah. Yeah, and then, but you also, it was like a, almost like a Big Bang Theory type of thing. It's like <laughs> there was a math thing, and then you've got the you wanted to be a biochemist, which I found just amazing personally. Yeah, like, that was a that was a short lived dream, I guess. I thought I liked biochemistry, and I got to organic chem and uh, withdrew from the class, and that's when I went to math full time. But um, you know, I always liked science. I liked that sort of thing grammar and english was never my forte it still isn't and i just liked the more with at least science right hands-on in the lab doing experiments and math just came really easy to me and um it wasn't obviously easy in college it got a lot more difficult as time went on but it was a fun challenge you know a moment ago i mentioned the fact one of the the, the places you've worked at recently since last we spoke was Gulfstream. and speaking of Gulfstream, right uh full disclosure I guess you say like some hidden reason why I asked you to come on tonight is because you're good buddies with a, a guy named Pete Aiello, right? And I am. Yes, and I understand Pete's great. I want to have him on the pod, right? Not to talk about horse racing or anything like that. I want to talk about shoot shoot the shit with him about. Uh, I think we have something in common, like '80s rock, like '38 Special, ZZ Top, Motley Crue, Def Leppard. So I, we wanted to have you on, Ash. But if you can maybe pull some strings there and get him on her to talk. Some of that uh, beer drinking '80s music that old guys like us have. I mean, I, I would be okay with that. You know, I think we see eye to eye with that. No, I'll have to. I'll have to talk to Pete. Pete is honestly one of my favorite people that I met during my time in South Florida. We became really close buddies, and you can bust his chops, and he handles it pretty well. Um, I still call him every now and then, and when he doesn't pick up the phone, I leave him uh, very mean voicemails. Um, probably good blackmail material if he ever needs it someday. But no, he's <laughs> genuinely so much fun and. He loves the game and, you know, it, it doesn't matter the level of the track. He's really involved and loves, you know, watching the races. And I think he's a tremendous race caller. I think when you listen to his calls, he just has this knack for being able to see the race flow and how things are unfolding. And he's always excited, whether it's a climbing race at Gulfstream or it's the Pegasus. It doesn't matter. Um, he loves showing up to work and doing his thing. So he's a, he's a lot of fun um, and we, we enjoy trolling one another. Yeah, he really. Who do you like here? I mean, he, you're right. That, you make a good point about that. He can he can see the race develop, right? And he knows he's got a good idea what's getting ready to happen down the stretch. I, I always like that about Pete. But yeah, he, he does. Yeah, I do think I do think maybe how old is Pete? Ooh, I don't know how old Pete is. That's a good I'm guessing question. he's my age. I'm guessing 53 because I, I see his music taste or whatever. But uh, I think yeah. he might be more of an old soul. I mean, I think based on like. He, he gives me that old soul vibe. I think that's why we also get along so well um, is because I think we're we're older souls. But, no, he's great. His dad is also awesome. Um, I've got to meet uh, the creator of Pete Allo, and uh, he's, a, he's a great, great guy as well. Aren't you a Dolphins fan? 
I am. It's like, it's not even worth talking about though. I mean, I, I grew up in Buffalo, so it's already a sin and a crime to be a Dolphins fan. That's fine. I've accepted it. Um, but I don't know how you, I mean, obviously they played a poor team a couple of weeks ago and smoked them, but I don't even know if they really played when they faced the Bills a couple of weeks ago. So. Well, the reason I asked is simply because you were down in, you know, you're down in, down in Miami. Last year. I mean, did, did you get a chance <laughs> to see him play? Get down to no, Hard Rock actually, Stadium? Yeah, I didn't. And I was actually lived not too far from there. I went to a lot more Panthers games um, mm. when I was down there. I love hockey. Hockey's my my go to outside of horse racing. I would say it's horse racing, hockey, and then it's football. That's right. You're a Buffalo native. I get it now. You live near Canada. You work in Canada. I get it. Basically get it. Canadian. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, that that is awesome. Uh, so Fort Erie, let's get back to Fort Erie. One reason we want to have you on is Fort Erie's beginning to end. It, it's the end of the meet is, I want to say, Monday and Tuesday of next week. Is that correct? Yeah. So those are our last two days of racing for 2023. And now, you know, so how many dates did they run this year? How many weeks? How many months? So the last couple of years, it's been the standard same calendar of 40 days, which is, you know, sadly, it's, it's a lot less than it used to be. But I think with what they've been able to do this year, um, it's been a really good season. A lot of days have been over a million in handle, which to some people isn't a lot. But for a track like 40 Erie, when you're running seven or eight days a race, uh, excuse me, seven or eight races a day. It's a lot of money. Um, and it's, it's been really good to see that and see people, you know, playing the product a little bit more. And I think we've had some really nice cards in terms of turf races and, uh, full fields on the grass, which, you know, that's kind of what everyone wants, right? Um, in terms of the horse player, but Prince of Wales Day this year was a huge handle. It was over three million. Uh, it was a record handle for Fort Erie. So I think there's a lot of positives out of the season and as, as sad as I am, for racing to end for the meet. I'm excited to see what, you know, goes on next year in 2024. I remember going up there a few years ago and um, walking in there and I, my wife, my wife and kids and myself, right. We're, we just visited Niagara Falls. We stopped in there mm-hmm. and my wife and kids are not big fans of horse racing whatsoever. It's something they allow me to do and stuff, whatever, but they love the place. I'm telling you, my wife and kids love the place. They would go back in a heartbeat. It was beautiful. The scenery is beautiful. And we're walking through the grandstand. I hear this, this young girl on the intercom, right, uh, doing the analysis, and like this girl's really good, and it's like, wow, it was you, and uh, I'll never <laughs> forget that. I'll never forget that. My wife and kids love Port Erie, so I, I, there's a special place in my heart for that. I hope it succeeds. I hope it continues to go on and stuff. So I'm pulling for it, and maybe if it's okay, once I pass this around to the other guys, to ask you a couple of questions. Maybe if there's something you like in the the closing days of Port Erie, you want to maybe let us know about. Feel free. For sure. For sure. Because you used to do the tip sheet there as a as a real young kid, right? Uh, yeah. You know, my first season would have been 2018, and I did it 2018, and it opened up some doors. And, um, you know, I, I kept on doing it for a couple of years. And, obviously, when I went to Florida, there was a year I had to take a break from it. And it was nice to be able to, once I came back to the area, to pick up where I left off. And it's just something that, like I said, it it opened up all the doors for me. And, yeah. um, you know, that's how I started to freelance a little bit in my free time and on the weekends and uh, never thought it. I never thought I was going to do anything on TV, but I'm just a, just a girl who liked horse racing, right. And liked chatting with anyone that would let her. Um, that's probably one of my favorite things about Fort Erie is now to this day is when I go through the grandstand or I go underneath, right. Where the, the tellers are in the machines and I see people, um, I can stop and just talk with all the regulars that are there every race day, whether they're trainers or grooms or just, you know, diehard fans of the sport. We cut, you know, we kind of 
shoot the breeze and we talk about whether it's racing or life stuff. And, um, you know, it's like the, the whole presence of all these people there. It's like my second family. And, uh, that's just something I never thought would happen, but it's, it's why I keep on going back. Uh, one thing before I do send it to my, to my buddies here, the next time I go, I'm going to need a favor from you. Okay. Okay. the whole exchange thing confused the shit out of me. Okay. I'm not going to lie to you. Cause we just, I mean, Fort Erie is right inside the border. Right. And I'm like, mm-hmm. so you can bet in Canada money. You can bet. in And I mean, again, I'm pretty good at math, but that did throw me for a loop or whatever. I remember I won a couple races and I had no idea what I was getting back. <laughs> so maybe yeah, it can be confusing. Yeah. You know, there's two different ways to look at it too. You know, some people want to bet in American because um, you know, the dollar is worth more or some people like my dad, he loves to switch his money over. Cause in his head, he's like, well, you know, the dollar's worth less, but if I convert, I have more to gamble and fire with, right? If I switch over 100, I get 134 Canadian. That's 34 extra dollars to spend, but, you know, uh, to each their own and how to do it. But it can be a little confusing, uh, but I think, you know, in more recent times, it's gotten a lot more straightforward. I never thought I would need a seminar at the racetrack, but I do need a <laughs> seminar on that. So, CC, got a question for you, Alan. I, uh, talking about the puss and books and, and getting to swim in the uh the infield. What, what about a? I propose a race at Ellis Park. Oh, where the winner has to take a sponge bath in the second floor of Ellis Park bathroom. I'd rather I'd rather jump in with them snapper turtles, dude. I, I'm sorry, but uh, I've seen that Ellis Park bathroom. And actually, if you haven't seen the Ellis Park bathroom, which I'm sure you probably haven't, you you would do the same thing. <laughs> I've never been to Ellis Park. It's on my list. I need to kind of uh, wrap up my my Kentucky tracks. I've driven past Ellis Park on my way to. Evansville, Indiana, but I've never been there. Uh, It is on my list, though, but it does look like every time I see it on TV and I'm watching people and they're interviewing, it is not a a cool place to be in the summer. No, no, he's right about that. It can be a nice toasty 97 that's coming right down on your skull, but uh, it, it, if you like Fort Erie, you'll like you'll like Ellis. I think that's one of the reasons I liked uh, Fort Erie so much. Staying in there reminds me a little bit of Fort Erie, but that said, we're going to, if you go, you know, there are nicer bathrooms. Make sure you, the grandstand ones maybe pass that. So don't take that challenge. <laughs> Go ahead, CC. Well, Ashley, you were talking about the full fields at Fort Erie. I was just curious. I know like Gulfstream doesn't like their horses to ship to Tampa. And I, I know can, uh, Churchill didn't really, they don't really recommend shipping outside of uh, Kentucky. Where does the horse population come from at Fort Erie? Is it, do they have a good relationship with Woodbine. Uh, most of the horses that are racing at Fort Erie, they are coming from Fort Erie. Um, we don't see too many shippers. Uh, in years past, we've seen a handful of horses come to the Finger Lake. So that was one of the coolest things a couple of years back. Dr. Blarney, who everyone knows, uh, probably one of the greatest mass bred horses of all time. He made appearances. Um, we have seen some horses um, that have come from Woodbine, but I feel like one of the things right now and just racing in general is a lot of people are fighting over horses. Um, they want full fields and um, it, it makes it tough on Fort Erie, right? Um, there's, you know, there's different ways to look at it, I think. And if you look at the mid Atlantic, right, there's a lot of tracks that are within say three and a half hours of one another. Um, and, and sometimes they let people ship and they seem like they're a little bit more open, but, um, it, it does impact Fort Erie in terms of their, their field size. Um, but, uh, you know, I've been, been pleased with what the horsemen have done and, and trying to, you know, support the, the races and, and especially on the big days, right? Prince of Wales Day, I felt like the horsemen, the Fort Erie horsemen were great this year and, and really wanted to fill up a card and did a good job of doing so. But, um, there, there's certainly, um, you know, it's not easy on Fort Erie, especially this year. And, and I think it was even the last two seasons as well. 
I'm sure the, the it's a two day race week, right? Usually it's two days. Yep. Mondays and yeah. Tuesdays. I'm sure that helps a whole lot. That's I mean, that's that's probably a recipe for success. Yeah, it does. I mean, I feel like if there were there were uh, more more tracks in the area and uh, ability to ship and, you know, for for trainers to race where they want that that would maybe, you know, help fields more. But um, it, it's a tough situation. I feel like everyone fights over horses these days and. I can understand the business side of it. I can also understand the horseman side of it, right? Trying to pick spots where your horse fits or get them in the right conditions and on the right surface. Um, so it, it's a tough, it's a tough slippery slope, right? Everyone wants to do the best that they can. And, and sometimes they don't know if that, that works out for everyone. So relative to me, I mean, you're just a kid. I'm an old man, but you're like a baby. <laughs> how, how do your friends receive your love for for the sport and handicapping and and, and being involved? What what how does that go? Are they, are they cool with that? You try to introduce them to it, or you just try to like I just I'll do my own thing. You know, I it's it's a little bit mixed, right? So I'll never forget when I went to school in Lexington, Kentucky, and I'd take some of my girlfriends to the track, right? It, and I'd be like, oh, this one looks good. And they'd be like, yeah, but their back was to the fence, right? I'm looking at the horses. They're looking at the boys. Um, so that yeah, was kind of a yeah. little bit of a disconnect. But I do feel like I have some friends that have gotten, you know, more interested. Actually, one of my best friends um, who lives right down the street from me, he's been going to the track more often and uh, learning how to bet and asking questions. That's been really cool to have someone my age want to learn racing. Um, so it's it's tough. I, I don't want to force racing upon anyone, but I do think – I've always felt like you can take someone to the track and they might not like everything about the racetrack, but I think if you know the sport well enough and you're passionate about it, you can have them leave the track and there will be one thing from that day that they really liked and that they'll take away. Um, obviously, when we think about wagering, wagering is such a huge part of the sport, right? When you think about how it relates to the, the economics of racing, but gambling isn't for everyone. Um, but I still think, you know, to try to get people a little bit more involved, it's all of our responsibility to do so. And I'm happy to teach people, but I'm not going to necessarily force it upon them. Gambling's not for everybody. You got that right. I took a buddy of mine. It's been 20 years ago. took a friend to Churchill Downs. And I told him, you know, I tried to explain what an exacta box was. I, I said, mm-hmm. I'll split it with you. $2 exacta box. We boxed two horses. Of course, we lost. I thought my friend was going to kill me. <laughs> like, he was so offended. That he lost two dollars. Yeah. I was like, dude, dude has a nice job working at a uh, one of these uh, distilleries around here, and oh. I mean, he, I thought he was going to lose his cool over that two dollars. Like, dude, you want your two dollars? I will give you two dollars back. Yeah, it's it's weird to think about it that way too, because I remember as a kid, people would say to my dad, "Why do you take a young kid to the track?" Right, and so if you think about it from you know, you can say what you want about the gambling, right? I understand some people don't like to gamble and that's that's completely fine, right? We all have our own interests. But the kind of the counter argument, at least knowing how my dad was, right? He's not a huge Bills fan. He'd be like, okay, I can take my family of four to a Bills game. And how much does it cost me to get in the door? Tickets, you know, you have a beer or you have lunch, you park, and you're out a couple hundred bucks, right? To go to a game that really is what, three, four hours max? Um, that's the old days. A, it might be a thousand now. <laughs> right. But I'm, you know, I'm saying it's three, four hours there and you're out at least a couple hundred bucks. Yeah. Right now it could be a thousand bucks where you could take a portion of that money, have lunch at the racetrack, walk around, see the horses, gamble a little bit. And then, you know, the gambler came out on him. He's like, maybe we make money, you know? So there's different ways to view it. I mean, um, I've seen people, they don't want to lose $2 at the racetrack and I've seen people that, 
they like slot machines, right? And that money goes a lot quicker depending how, how you spend it. And they're okay lose, going to the track and losing 50 bucks, right? Um, it's, you know, it's all person dependent, I think. So, all right, Breeders' Cup's coming up here in, uh, in a few weeks. And, of course, I, I love that. One of the best times of the year. I'm pretty sure you do, too. Anything this year in particular that you're looking forward to? You know, I would say I'm really excited for the Classic. And I know that each and every year people have different opinions on the, the crop. And I'm a person that just likes really competitive races, right? So um, I always joke with a couple of my buddies that I will take a field of $4,000 claimers if I can have 10 of them in the gate rather than five horses in a grade one. That's just me because I, I like – I like, I like climbers too. I'm not afraid to admit I love climbing horses. They're the bread and the butter and I really respect those hard knocking climber horses. But I think going to the Breeders' Cup this year and, and looking at the classic, I think it's wide open and I think it's been fun. I know that the, uh, recent rankings that came out kind of that, um, final Breeders' Cup classic poll, I, I vote on it. You know, Archangelo's number one on it. And I think looking at him, he's been in sort of a, I don't want to say underappreciated horse, but he is still kind of flown under the radar throughout his campaign. And I think he's been, um, you know, pretty well managed by his connections. I think he's a cool story, but the three-year-olds, I mean, Arabian night, go rocket ride. It's been, it's been really fun to watch. And you still have some of the older horses that uh, are coming back on track. You have the white of barrios of the world. You will have some invaders proxy. I'm excited for the classic. I always look forward to the turf races. Uh, but I'm the worst person to ask if, like, I'm, there's one horse that I'm looking forward to something. That's like when someone asks me what my favorite movie is. I can never answer the question. Um, I'll wait a little bit until closer to Breeders' Cup to kind of narrow things down. Well, I was kind of excited. I think there's going to be some pace injected this year. Saudi Crown, mm-hmm. the winner of the Pennsylvania Derby, I think they've declared him to, to go toward the race. Uh, there's going to be a Japanese horse. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can, hold on. Let me look up his name here. Ushba Tesoro. I think he won, he won one of the big races in the Middle East, uh, Dubai or, yep. or the Saudi Cup or one of those races. So he's coming. And of course you've got, like you said, you know, Archangelo and, uh, Go Rocket Ride and Arabian Night. And uh, it's going to be a, yeah, going to be a fun, fun race. Any Breeders Cup memories that uh, you could tell us about? Um, I would say they're not like necessarily good ones in the sense that they're like crushing defeats. Um, I, I can remember some, some big performances where I, you know, didn't key a horse both ways and it cost me close to a thousand dollars. I'm going to try not to, to live, relive those moments, but the Breeders' Cup, one of my favorite things to do. I mean, I love going to the race. It is fun, but I think my fondest memories were just watching, you know, the races with my dad right on the couch and get some snacks. And it's the day that everyone looks forward to or the two days. And I just think it's a, it's an interesting event for the sport, right? Where we hopefully, depending if everyone's healthy and sound, you see the best of the best compete. And it's changed a lot of even recent years. We're seeing a lot more, I feel like shippers and just looking at the last several editions of Japanese runners, um, they've really upped their game in terms of breeding and racing. It's, it's exciting, and I and I love that it travels. I still selfishly wish that it traveled more um, like it used to. I love mm-hmm. that it used to go all over the place, and I, I wish that would happen, but I also understand in terms of, you know, why it has narrowed down. But Breeders' Cup's kind of a magical weekend. Obviously, we look forward to the Triple Crown, and there's a little bit of a lull, but I don't want to say it's a lull because you have Saratoga, you have Del Mar, you have all these tracks going. Um, but this is kind of our next wave, right? And then... Then we'll be excited again in January and February when the, the preps start really getting good for the Triple Crown again. 
All right, Ashley, before I turn it over to Jeff, I do want to tell you personally, I think you're one of the best in the business. I think you're really good. I think you're a, you're a credit to the industry. I'm, I'm, it's an no honor question. that you, yeah, it's an honor that you joined us tonight. I, I, I really appreciate it that you took the time out to talk to our measly bunch. But, uh, yeah, it, best of luck to you going forward, Ashley. You're, like I said, you, you're, you're absolutely a number one in my book. So, right on. Well, well, thank you. That's really, that's really sweet of you guys to say. And, um, Honestly, like I, anything that's come my way, I'm just so grateful for it. And I never expected this, even as a little kid. I just, just like horses, right? I never thought I would not necessarily do anything in the business. Um, so each and every opportunity that I've had has meant everything to me. And, um, you know, while I'm not in the, the game full time to just still be involved, uh, it's still my passion project. And it, you know, certainly makes me look forward to the weekends that I get to cover racing or just even talk like tonight um, and, and to talk about the game. Last thing too. Sorry, Jeff, uh, stealing your thunder. <laughs> but I, I need uh, I need you to say one thing. Just just to uh, our co-host Brandon Jagger. Could you just can I get you on on uh, uh, a recording? Just saying this. Just say quote Brandon. You should have listened to CC last week. Ooh, and, I don't know what this is about. Is this about gambling? Can I ask yes, that first? It is. That's Brandon, all. Brandon, you should have listened to CC. I don't know what about. You probably did not play no, a race correctly. Stop with the details, Ashley. Get <laughs> enough, okay? All right, Jeff, take it away. Oh, man. Yes, he, he deserves that one, Ashley. Don't feel bad about it. Okay, good. Uh, um, just to build on what uh, CC said, I, I do think you're definitely one of the best at combining, you know, the physical handicapping with reading the form. I really appreciate that about you. And does does one really carry more weight in your mind, or do you lean more heavily on on the form, being more of a math brain, or being around horses your whole life? Do you look more at the physical? It's it's funny because I feel like in general, I stick more to the form, right? I physically look at the horses when they're in the paddock and look how they're acting. And if you uh, tuned into, you know, like FanDuel last weekend, physically there were a lot of horses that didn't like how they were acting. And I feel like every, almost every case of that, they ended up winning. So it, it's tough in, in that regard. But, but to me, physically, when you have a field of, say, um, made in special weight runners at Kentucky Downs or Keeneland, right? A lot of them are going to look good. They're all going to look different. And especially if they're first time starters, their first race might be a starting point. And you might look at them and say, Hey, to me, they look more of a sprinter and, you know, or they look more of a two turn horse and they're not getting that perfect setup. I personally think what I've noticed in terms of physical handicapping on a cheaper race scale and more of the claimers, I find it more helpful for myself. Um, I think especially too, if you're following a circuit and you're there every day, uh, you start to notice horses, right? Are they carrying weight better? Do they just look better in general? Uh, do they look healthier? I think that becomes important. I think there are usually horses at the claiming level where to me, there's more standouts physically. And then maybe you go in the form and you, you start to look things. Maybe they didn't look the greatest on paper, but maybe you're thinking, hmm, could this horse get at least get a piece here? That's kind of how I, I go about it. But to me, I mean, the form is always where I start and I have mental notes of a lot of horses, especially, for example, at Fort Erie, right? I see them all season long. Um, I kind of know what to expect from some of them. So if you start to see bad behavior in the paddock, I can probably name three horses off the top of my head that I know are just um, <laughs> foul to be around as they get saddled. But that's normal. So if they weren't acting like that, I would think, hmm, are they, you know, are they their normal self today? Right. That makes sense. So it's it's really finding patterns as well. That's another, you know, 
analytical part of it, but uh, combining that with the physical, that's cool. Definitely. Uh, and I think too, just one other thing is when you start to look at some of like the top trainers, I think some of them just have a look to them, right? You can tell, and, and obviously equipment gives it away, right? If they have nylon white bridles, you're thinking Steve Asmussen, or you're seeing certain things like how Staffy Joseph Jr. is, what his tack looks like. But I start to think based on their feet and their training regimen, a lot of horses start to look the same. It's also probably because when they go to sales or they're buying, they kind of know what they like to look for. But um, I do think that's sometimes worth noting as well. Right. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. So talking about, you know, tracks around the country, I know Fort Erie is your home base, but you've been everywhere following racing, doing freelancing, working for different people. Do you know how many tracks you've actually been to? I have not updated the list. It's definitely over 50 if I include standard breads as well. Um, There have been a handful of Greyhound tracks sprinkled in, but if I just did thoroughbreds and standard breads, it's over 50. And like I said, I've never been to a track I didn't like, but obviously they're all, they're all really different. And I think there's certain things about tracks that stand out. Like obviously Santa Anita to me, the mountains and the, the landscaping at Santa Anita and the history that always sticks out. Keeneland. I mean, I love Keeneland. I went to school there. I think the, the setup and the, the charm of Keeneland is impressive. Saratoga, you have the history. Um, you know, they all have their own little uniqueness, but they're also charming in their own way. And I, there's even small tracks that I've been to that I absolutely love. And part of it was the fans or just the people there, again, have been super friendly and nice. That's awesome. What's your favorite event that you've covered so far? Ooh, good question. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it a non-Fort Erie thing because I could talk about Fort Erie all day long. I really like the Preakness. Um, love, I love Pimlico, which I know some people don't like Pimlico. I think Pimlico still has its own charm to it. And Preakness has always been really fun. I've covered it, I think, twice. And I just, there's something about the Preakness that I, I liked a little bit more than the Derby. It's not that I don't like the Derby. Obviously, it's the Kentucky Derby. But I, I kind of like the lead up to Preakness and some of the events that go on in Baltimore. And I think it was also special my first Preakness because the first one that I worked, I was able to take my dad along and he was so stoked. Had never been to a triple crown race and I, we both had fun. I think he had more fun than me, maybe a little too much fun, but it was, <laughs> it was a very special four days in Baltimore. Great. Yeah. You know, do it and then you can give him good experiences, making memories for life. That's yeah, come full circle. You know, he used to cart my butt around everywhere and now he's like, Oh, where are you going? Can I come on that trip? I'm like, sure you can come, I guess. So it all, it all comes back around. That's great. So a lot of our listeners are probably not as familiar with a lot of like, you know, the major Canadian Northern runners. Are there any um, either possible breeders cup runners or just like a horse that you love that, awesome that might not be a household name that you can Ooh. I would say that if you're looking at sort of Canadian racing in general some of the big names this year uh Moira has been one that stuck out the last couple of seasons um she just had a good performance she didn't win last weekend at Woodbine but she's been a fun Philly to watch um I think to me the, the big names that people look to are usually you know the the King's Plate winners or whoever wins the Woodbine Oaks and where they go from there but to me, some of the turf races up at Woodbine are tremendous. And even looking at later this weekend, for example, on the 14th up at Woodbine, they have a couple of graded six that I think are really good fields. They're grade threes, but there's some really nice horses in there. Um, in terms of Breeders' Cup, I, I don't know exactly who's going to go. 
they do have some win in your ends up at Woodbine, so we'll see some of those horses. Um, not that they were necessarily based at Woodbine, but they had raced up there. So it's always fun to watch them if they're able to shine on the big stage. I will say he's not a Breeders' Cup horse, but a horse that I've loved following who raced in Canada. He actually won the Prince of Wales as Duke of Love, who my racehorse, you know, owns part of. Um, he was able to take his show on the road. He won a, a stakes race this year. Um, after having a couple of troubled starts, they got him back on the dirt. He woke up again. Um, I think he's one to kind of watch as long as they continue to campaign him on the dirt. I think he's been exciting, but it's just, uh, it's different, right? Because you have Woodbine and you have, they have two turf courses and they have their Tapita track and then Fort Erie's got their turf and their dirt. So it's nice that, you know, you have all those surfaces closely together, right? Gulfstream's the, when you think about kind of the perfect track, they have everything, right? They have all three surfaces, but, um, you know, I like Canadian racing a lot. Um, I know in terms of it's not as ever going to be as big as some of the bigger states when you think of Kentucky and New York and all of those, but um, I, I really enjoy the, the product in Canada. That's great. So before I toss it back to Alan, uh, you didn't briefly mention hockey, and hockey season starting to ramp back up again. Is, do you have an NHL team that you follow? Is it the Panthers oh. or – just go there no, because. nope. It's the Buffalo Sabres. I have to stay true. This is my one uh, Queen no, City no. team that I support. Um, it's usually painful, but mm-hmm. uh, no, I love going to games. I, I think that's another reason I like hockey a lot is I feel like the games are very entertaining to go. You can watch the puck move. You can hear the puck. You feel yeah. like you're right there where I feel like the Bills games I've gone to, they hadn't been the greatest. It's been very cold outside, but mm-hmm. you're not. it's not the same sort of action, right? I feel like there's always something going on at the hockey game that keeps everyone enthused and in, in watching the game. I totally agree with you. And I, there's nothing like playoff hockey. You know, mm-hmm. I I never really grew up a hockey fan, but uh, when I was in college, I went to Western Kentucky University in Bowling Green and went to some Nashville Predators games while I was there. Okay. And I was first, you know, foray into hockey. And I got to see a couple playoff games and there is no atmosphere in sports like playoff hockey in my mind. <laughs> No, I feel like the Predators have such a, a loyal, loyal fan base, right? Um, I think that was kind of the weird thing about Florida is the Panthers, I believe for years, had one of the low, lowest attendance rates in the league. Um, and uh, funny story, as I'll, this is a very quick side note, but I'll never forget when I was in Florida, I went um, to a happy hour once in Fort Lauderdale and these two Canadian gentlemen, I knew they were Canadian based on their accent, sat down and I was with my friend and I'm like, Danny, I, I think this is a hockey player. And she's like, what do you mean you think? I'm like, I'm pretty sure. But we, you know, we started talking hockey a little bit, but people don't know, right? It's not like the bartenders or anyone knows that that's at the time. I can tell you who it was. It was Jonathan Uberdo. No one knew that he was the leading point scorer in the NHL. Uh, <laughs> sitting, you know, it's just, that's not how it is in Buffalo, right? If you are in Buffalo, everyone knows who the Sabres are. It'd be like knowing everyone on the Bills team. Um, it was different in Florida, though. People aren't that into it. We're here. I mean, Buffalo is a diehard sports city. Definitely. Definitely. Well, thank you so much for coming on with us. Um, Alan, I'll kick it back to you to wrap things up. Oh, certainly. A uh, couple things. One, how is your dad? We talked. How is Jock? Jock uh, Mayu. <laughs> how's he doing? Give him a shout out. Jock is the same old, same old. Um, he's good. He's very good. He's trying to figure out some some racing trips for 2024 but my dad's my best friend we do a lot together and um obviously he's the one who got me into the sport so it's always nice to be able to go to the track with him and he goes to Fort Erie as much as he can and so do I so no he's uh he's doing really good thanks for asking awesome uh, shout out to you Jock uh, there's I've never met Jock but I 
I like Jacques, and I like the. Name I think you like. Name. I think you like Jacques, though, if I'm not mistaken, because of a horse by the name of Home Base. Home Base, you are correct. You've got a good memory. <laughs> yes, he and I had that Home Base connection, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and then I like the name Jacques. Jacques May you just sound so awesome, and he took his daughter to the track. That's that. I just think it's great. Uh, and also, you were talking about taking up Keeneland. To all these uh, young girls, like before we even Fort here, you talking about they going to those young girls in college, and, all, and if you go to Keenly, you know there's a lot of young girls there, right? And they're you know, they're looking at guys, and the guys looking at the girls, right? And everybody's getting a little inebriated and stuff, and it's just so funny to me just thinking back to that time where they're all doing that, and you're sitting there trying to bet a two seven over a two six seven over a two six seven eight try wheel or something that, that's that's kind of funny to me you know what i mean you just don't see that all the time yeah that's one of the unique things though about keeneland is it it is really cool to see that many young people at a track it really, really uh, the only thing that i can say recently that i've noticed close to that and it was just one day right so at, at the meet at keeneland that's every friday saturday um that's a big friday saturday sort of thing with the college students but i will say i was shocked this year um i went to my first haskell and i couldn't believe the number of young people there right really? you're in, you're in Jersey near the shore in the middle of summer, and there were a lot of young people there, which is something that we just don't see. And um, one of the great things about Keeneland is they do College Scholarship Day. They do these different initiatives to to kind of open up Keeneland because they are a college town, right? There's several colleges in Lexington, and, you know, they invite people to the track. And, um, you know, I do think that's a, a step forward in the right direction. Uh, yeah, you're right about that. All right, I'll tell you what. Fort Erie closes. We got the Fort Erie expert. Not everybody in the country can say they have a Fort Erie expert on their show, right? <laughs> They're few and far between outside of you and Jacques. So if there's anything you, you want to give a you know, give a little love to Fort Erie, anything that you like, I mean, there's no better person yeah, to ask, is so, No, so we'll we'll do, like, I guess, a high level. So it's nice. This week we'll have the, the two days, Monday and Tuesday, 1 p.m. post both days. And they fill nine races each day. So that's a, that's a nice thing to see, I think. The coolest race will be the final race on closing day, which is Tuesday. The ninth race is what we call the Tour de Fort. Um, and it's called <laughs> the great. Tour de Fort because it's, it's a little bit of a long race. It's two miles and 70 yards on the main track. It's uh, listed as a okay. starter optional climbing event, but it's two miles and 70 yards. So these are for the, uh, the horses that want to go real long. And it's kind of an interesting race this year looking at the field. It's a, almost a full field. There's a lot of runners in here. There's nine or ten off the top of my head, and um, I think the horse that I'm looking most forward to see race is actually on the outside. Um, the name of the horse is Redoubt Light. He is trained by Josh Robillard, and one of the prep races was at a mile and an eighth, and he finished third, but if you watch it, uh, the winner took him gate to wire with ease, one by almost nine lengths, but this is a horse that he was just not in a hurry early, and that's kind of his running style, and I think uh, two miles and 70 yards should should work to his advantage. Um, it's always fun to watch this race. I can remember some throwdowns in the past. I actually remember a trainer named Paula Losher talking about females at the fort. Her horses battled to the wire nose and nose in this race a couple years back, if I'm not mistaken, with two female jockeys, which is really cool. Um, so I, I always look forward to this race and kind of looking at this year's edition uh, it's a little different because if you start to look at the horses that have participated, I don't think anyone's ever participated in this race, which usually we see maybe a horse from last year. They try it again. So this is a, a tall task for a lot of horses, but I think it's a it's a cool way to, to wrap up the season. That is awesome. You know, and CC is going to read the channel. I know he feels the same way. Churchill used to do that. They said the 10 Breck series here where they would have a 
horse, this, this is going back probably the 90s or the 2000s, probably the 90s, CC, what you say, that horse would go up a mile and an eighth and they'd run a mile and a half and then they'd go two miles to close the meet. And Ellis used to have the same thing, if I'm not mistaken. You don't think twice around. Oh, twice, the twice around, yeah. Oakland, I think Oakland has their, uh, isn't their last race to meet one of these mile and seven eighths yeah. races or something? Right, mile and three quarters. That, that, that's actually a pop, if the, I think it's the trails in. It's a really popular race. But you know, I, I like all those names. What was what was the name? The Tour de Fort. Is that what you said? Yeah, the Tour de Fort. It'll be race nine on Tuesday. It's got a field of ten, if I counted right. I hope I did. Uh, I just got the PPs today since they drew earlier. But it's two miles and seventy yards, so it's uh it's twice around, and they start a little bit before the finish line. I like the horse on the outside. I think this has been um, trainer Josh Robillard's plan all along because this horse is. You know, tried a mile and a half on the turf last year, and he didn't fare too well. It was a really tough spot against some nice horses. But this year, he's raced really well locally, and I think uh, I think he's one that I have some confidence in in getting the distance, which, you know, makes it always tricky to sort of handicap how these races pan out. Because sometimes with the distance races, right, it comes down to, does a horse get to the front and just set, you know, pedestrian fractions, and do they hold on? Um, you never know, but uh, it's fun. There's a couple uh, mares in the race uh, going against the boys, and uh, yeah, I look forward to it. I, I will tell you this. It's going to sound crazy, but I'm already like dreading the race and excited for it because I think it's great, but once they all you know, cross the wire and head back to the barn, that's usually where my, my seasonal depression kicks in, um, and i got to wait till May to, to kick it you know, back up at the races, and uh, it's something to look forward to, but it's always a bittersweet moment. Yeah, I can imagine. That's that's awesome. You said Rubelard's light? Josh Rubelard's horse. Yep, the name is Redoubt's Light with Redoubt's Chris Husband, hopefully, in the Irons. Uh, there was a little bit of a spill uh, last week, but it, both riders are okay. So hopefully uh, hopefully Chris will be back in the saddle. We're all going to make it a point to, to to not only bet Fort Erie that day, watch Fort Erie. We'll get Brandon. I'm sure Brandon Jaggers are going to unload on this horse. If, if he listens to the podcast this week, he's going to unload on that horse. So that, Awesome. Cool. Yeah, I'll tell you what, actually, again, we thank you so much for your time. We know you're busy, uh, but you, you really are one of the uh, 160. You're one of the best we've had. I mean, you know, the it, Echo CC Simmons, Echo Jeff CC Simmons. We talk about this all there. You're so good at what you do. And I'm sure had you been a biochemist, you'd have been awesome at that too. So <laughs> I don't think it'd be nearly as fun though. So no, I appreciate always having me on. I can't believe it's been that long though. It just shows you time. Time flies, and I know I'm not old, but the older I get, I think I realize that more that, you know, you think you think life's going by slow. It's, it's definitely not. It's definitely not. Say hi to Jacques for me. If I ever get I to will. meet him, I'm buying him a, a Labatt's or a Molson or I don't know, wherever they wherever He's they a bourbon guy. He's a little hardcore, so he's a bourbon oh. guy these days. Okay, well, that's, that costs him <laughs> over, but I'll be, I'll be sure to handle it, okay? <laughs> awesome. Thanks, guys, so much. Have a great night. Thanks, Ashley. Thanks, Ashley. All right, that was Ashley Mayu. Friend of the show, if I don't say so myself. Who would have thought yeah. that, right? Who knows? But one of my favorite people in racing. If if you had a racetrack, CC, would would you not hire her? To, I mean, not only be the analyst, maybe to manage it. She's that. She 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 really knows her stuff. She, she I would I would hire her to do that. Yeah. Jeff, uh, got a question for you. Have you ever been to the Ellis Park second floor bathrooms? <laughs> we have. You have. I have. Would you spend the night in one of those? How much would you pay? Fifty thousand dollars to spend the night. Spend one night? Yeah, I would. Spend one after a full day of racing. Uh, <laughs> wait a minute, Jeff. Sometimes they put that coleslaw for the hot dogs out in the sun, right? Sometimes <laughs> they sit there, maybe there's flies going around. So rethink what he's asking you, okay? Right. 
Right. So. I know he keeps adding stipulations to this. I don't know. I don't know. Not, it depends on how good of a day I had at the windows that day, I think, would, would be whether or not I'd stay there for 50 grand. Can I just stay at a haunted house instead or something? Maybe something easier? <laughs> you know what? I think I would. Actually, I think I would stay there for 50000 But maybe mm-hmm. right, $500. Would you spend the night? No. No, no. that's 500 Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Let's look uh, forward to this weekend, the Queen Elizabeth II Challenge Cup. Because races have been going on since the mid eighties when, when the queen herself visited the bluegrass, uh, always a really nice race. I think they ran the first one on dirt because I don't think the turf course came along until maybe 86 or 87, something like that. But this race has an international flavor, four horse, uh, Mauge, two to one on the morning line for Godolphin, Saeed Ben Sarur. Uh, this filly won the English 1000 guineas. Back in May, prior to that, I think she won the uh, the UAE 1000 Guineas, and she comes over here and and you know has, hasn't run since then. But she's going to be tough to beat. But there's a bunch of horses in here. There's a uh, got a field of eh, twelve with also eligible. Freitas the Red is the is the also eligible here. But uh, really, really good good international field here. Uh, Jeff, have you had a chance to look at the race? I haven't really. I just glanced over it and I thought the same thing. I thought the probably the the international horses kind of held the keys, but um, I do think that Freitas the Red's a little interesting. Draws in though. What do you think? I'm a big fan of that horse. Oh, I don't know. Uh, no, he won't. Sure. I, I don't know what to think about. I mean, she's going to get a bad post if she does draw mm-hmm. in. She'll probably be in the twelve hole, and I think I, I I couldn't use her personally. I think there's too many good fillies in here. Just my opinion, though. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, to me, I, I don't see any standouts. There's, there's some really nice, like the seven horse sounds of heaven. Daughter of Kingman, uh, she ran third in the Grade One coronation during the Royal Ascot meeting, and and you know she's she didn't like soft turf at Doville. She's going to get a whole lot firmer course here. I think Maybe she might could, have a shot. Could be, could be soft. Could be a little. Could be some rain in the forecast on. Well, I think that's that's what the course needs. It's been. Relatively dry around mm-hmm. here lately, and I think uh, you know I, I don't think there's been a lot of closing on no. that turf course at all. There hasn't, uh, but there hasn't been a lot of you know wire to wire either. It seems like you you really kind of need that pocket that pocket trip to be successful, from what I've seen. Yeah, the tenth race is interesting too. It also features a return of First Mission, who. We last saw when the Lexington mistakes fairly impressively back in the spring, and then he was supposed to go straight to the Preakness, and uh, he scratched uh, a day or two days before the race, and he was probably going to be second choice behind Mage. First mission finally returns in a uh, mile and sixteenth allowance race, so that should be fun. He's even money on the morning line, though. May may go off. We'll probably go off less than that, probably three to five, two to five, something like they that. They prepping him for something? They got some idea? They got some stakes racing mind? Are they? I'm thinking, sure. The Clark, yeah. right? Clark, you think so? It's a three-year-old, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the horse has a lot of talent, so I'm sure they've got a game plan. We'll figure out what it is. Yeah, I'm certain they'll go. They'll probably go uh, Clark and then maybe something Pegasus, Dubai World Cup. It's Godolphin, so I'm sure they'll want to run in Dubai. So. Uh, anything else? You're going to the ball game, Alan? Yeah, you Kentucky, Missouri. After watching Georgia beat uh, the daylight piss out of, I don't know if that's a real phrase, but I just made it up. But that's also pretty fair to say. Uh, Georgia, exactly. 
Georgia beat the living hell out of them the other day. <laughs> but it should name. be fun. Huh? Would that be a good name for a racehorse? Daylight piss? Daylight piss. I like it. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. Depending on how you spell it, you might get it through a jockey club. That's true. I, I can be pretty clever with that stuff. I'll see what I can do. Spell it P I P I S H. Daylight pish. There you go. <laughs> All right. Uh, anything else before we no, hit the road? No, dude. Thanks to Ashley. We love Ashley. She's 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 one of the best out there. All right. Well, Agreed. All right. We'll we'll wind it up here then, and 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 be back next week because we got another special guest lined up. But uh, we'll we'll put a put a cork on this one here. So on behalf of our special guest, Ashley Mayu, Alan Schneider, Jeff Riggs, and Brandon Jaggers, who sucks, eggs. This is CC Broadus reminding you in the words of Jerry Romans, we're not happy unless you're not happy. Good night.